It is with excitement that I get to share with you that the Leukaemia Foundation has developed a new resource. This resource is called the Online Support Service, where it provides a wealth of services to assist a person living with blood cancer throughout their patient journey. So whether you're a patient who has just been diagnosed, in treatment or in survivorship, this service provides access to targeted learning modules, a suite of amazing services and online programs. And you also have the ability to chat with an experienced blood cancer support coordinator at just one click. It gives people a personalised and intuitive way to learn about important topics, including what to expect beyond treatment. This service is simple to use and is filled with content curated by the Leukaemia Foundation for people with any type of blood cancer. It notably features a digital energy coach to help patients manage fatigue. So jump onto our website and look up our new and exciting product called the Online Blood Cancer Support Service. You get to a point in life where you think you're in control of everything and uh, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it gets taken out from underneath you. I guess I kind of felt ripped off. It's just living in the moment and just being adaptable to situations. Give people voices to talk about, do you know what, that phase is often the hardest and be prepared for it because it's not what you think it will be. Talking Blood Cancer, a podcast for those facing blood cancer by the Leukaemia Foundation. Find the best way forward using their own purpose that they have in their life and using their passions. I've lost fear and doubt. Like I no longer doubt myself in situations and nothing scares me. That gives you another goal to work towards and and a reason to live. I'm Kate Arkadip, and I am the host of Talking Blood Cancer. This podcast shares the stories of the people we have connected with who have faced a blood cancer so that you, our listeners, can gain insight, find purpose and take inspiration. Before we get into today's episode, the Leukaemia Foundation acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we share these stories. We recognise their continuing connection to land, sea and community as the first storytellers of this country. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. This story may contain content that some listeners may find difficult and challenging. We encourage anyone listening to take care of their own mental health and well-being. The purpose of this podcast is to share real-life stories of people living with a blood cancer, and any discussion of medical treatments is not an endorsement. We encourage you to seek advice from your treatment team if you have any questions regarding your diagnosis, side effects, or treatment. If you would like to talk to someone, or even if you would like more information on our services or today's episode, please feel free to contact one 800 620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. So let's get into today's episode. 
Today you are going to hear um, one of our different type of interviews that we are hosting throughout this season three of Talking Blood Cancer. We are going to look at having the conversations with healthcare professionals, just a short little interview in regards to maybe finding out what drew someone to the area to spend their focus in haematology. We um, are still, of course, keeping the essence of the podcast, Talking Blood Cancer, and sharing time and conversations with uh, patients and also their carers. But we thought it may be interesting to uh, see and chat to some professionals around the country as to um, what sparks and inspires them in the world of haematology. So today we, you guys are in for a treat. We have a wonderful episode with the lovely Carmel Woodrow. Marianne interviews Carmel and Carmel has been in the nursing field for over 40 years, has spent around 30 years of that in the haematology realm. So um, is has an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to haematology. She now is working as a cancer care coordinator and her role focuses on myeloma and amyloidosis patients. So um, sit back, have a listen, and um, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Mary Ann. So I feel very excited to welcome here this afternoon Carmel Woodrow. Uh, she is the clinical nurse consultant for myeloma amyloidosis at the Princess Alexandra Hospital here in Brisbane. Welcome, Carmel. Welcome to Talking Blood Cancer. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good. We do have a list of questions that we are asking all healthcare professionals. It just gives us a bit of an idea of who you are and, um, you know, why you've chosen haematology. So I'll start with question one. What do you love about the work that you do? I uh, have to be honest and say my patients because they're primarily the reason I'm there but also the reason I stay. Um, I think being a myeloma nurse, you know that they're in there for a marathon and not a sprint. And so I get to know my patients over a very extended amount of times and get to go through, you know, the diagnosis through to the end for some people. And it, it's a... It's a privilege and it's fun and it's difficult and it's it's probably why I get up in the morning other than, you know, outside of work things. I love going to work. I love what I do. How wonderful. I love hearing that you love going to work. And I would imagine that uh, you'd have to be quite equipped with knowing what to say when dealing with the sensitivities of newly diagnosed to, as you say, myeloma patients extend their treatment over a quite a lengthy period of time. So again, I guess those difficult conversations around, oh, if the disease presents, what options are available and having to keep abreast of all of those sorts of things. Do you find those conversations struggle or um, are they challenging? I think all of those conversations are always difficult and you just have to try and work out with every patient you come across and know that they're someone's mum or someone's dad or someone's brother or someone's sister mm. or child or what have you. And we're all really different and my patients are very different. And across my career, I've worked in you know, exclusive teaching hospitals. I've worked in private and I've worked in the public. So people come from a different background. They're very diverse in what came before me. 
So sometimes I, I go very gently. I don't overwhelm patients the first time I meet them. I just sort of introduce myself, tell them what I can do. I refer to myself as the yellow pages of myeloma. Um, so they can basically ask me anything, and if I can't answer it, I'll try and find an answer. And then I try and work out where they're at. I, I, I'm not much into structures of finding out what patient's history is re regarding education. I find those sort of things out in a simplest format and try and work out who they are and how to best support them and, and educate them because that's what they need to know and to feel safe to ask questions and feel helpless. So oh. it is, it's just an individual thing with each person I come across. And they're very different even in the setting that I work. Yeah, they would be. They would be. You're in the public setting now, aren't you? Yes. Yes. So I see the, you know, I see people from the day that they're told Mm -hmm. to, to the very end when they're told there isn't any more that we can do for you. And I'm, I'm probably the most constant person in that, that patient's situation throughout time. Like I've been there since 2009, so there's patients. I still know them. They're still there. <laughs> and people wonder why I can talk to people that have been around for ages. It's because I've kind of gone with them and learnt as well from those patients how they deal with things and you just pass that knowledge on to someone else. Lovely and what a gift that you've been able to share that from your interactions with those along their journey and then sharing how why they chose to um, manage or what choices they had around treatment, outcomes that you knew were successful or things that they needed to look out for you were able to add some personalised view on that. I'll just ask the next question. Why did you choose to specialise in haematology? Well, I didn't choose haematology. It chose me. As, as a kid, mm. I had a mother that used to go around visiting old people and sick people. And oh. I was the accompanying person that went with her. And I think at the time, you just really couldn't do much else other than talk to people as mm -hmm. a kid. And then I became a nurse and I don't know, just I always wanted to do haematology and oncology, which I did for 20 something years, a combination. And then I happened upon to, to go to relieve someone at the PA and well, you know, through a couple of coincidences, I ended up looking after the myeloma patients. And it was at the beginning of, I think it was 2009, there wasn't a lot happening in that world. And mm. there certainly wasn't great outcomes or there wasn't much hope. Mm. And, and treatments were very scant on the ground, but it exploded. And that's, yes. I've gone along with that and it's changed from that era to where we are now and that's what I mean it found me I just and I found the right place for me to be because it's varied yeah very very lucky that you landed there which is the next question <laughs> those pivotal moments those uh, pivotal moments that's, that's a pivotal moment in that oh. I got that group of patients I I found that world at a time when 
the pathways for chemo and myeloma changed, you know, all pre-novel agents, pre-monoclonal antibodies. Now we've got bites and CAR Ts and all of that. So that was just at the right time to come. But, you know, the other pivotal moment is my brother passed away. So that was a de- another very important part of where my life has gone because cancer knocked at our door. So it's a different experience once it comes to your house. Yes, so that, I hope, has helped me look after patients in a different way to what I may have done previously. No, it's it's lovely that you've shared that aspect, Carmel, because um, personally I don't think uh, there's anything more... Well, I think it's so valuable to have that insight, um, you know, for others. You come with that understanding, you come with that compassion, and that's possibly why you're... Um, why you choose to go gently with people's understanding around diagnosis and and you mentioned earlier that you do approach things to where people where you kind of gauge where people are at and I think that's probably possibly from your own lived experience of knowing how sensitive yeah and, and is. I think you you don't realize even mm. when you've done it over and over again mm how blindsiding it is. It's just yeah. one of those things that you think, oh, when it comes to us, this is how we'll do it. But the other part of that is as a medical profession or a health professional, it's it's our everyday life. We understand it. We understand mm. the terminology. We understand the process. But when you – so when I could see that my family just didn't get it, mm. that – that changed my perspective of trying to work out what patients see or need or hear, mm. and the, you just see it differently. So I, guess, I would hope it makes a difference, but it's not. It is not what my whole practice revolves around by any no. means. But it gives you insight that you probably aren't aware of prior to that. So very true. So um, I'm sure. Well, I'm not sure. I know that there's a lot of patients who've said they've really valued your support and interaction throughout their whole with, you know, myeloma and the different regimes that they've been through. So I know that a lot of people, the warmth as well as the education and the contributions that you make. So on behalf of them, thank you. Um, Is there anything we're talking about future now? Uh, is there anything that you feel comfortable sharing that excites you about the future um, in the delivery of care with myeloma patients? Oh, just the hope that we can get a little bit more um, outside of the hospital experience mm. going for our patients where it's not such a oh, what's the word, rigid healthcare system, mm-hmm. making things a little bit more patient-friendly. I mean, we, we do one particular drug outside that patients can give to themselves but Mm. you'd hope that there may be systems that come in to the future where they are not so hampered by coming to the hospital paying for parking sitting waiting for chairs they're they're the sort of things that if I if I had you know my way (laughs) that would be (laughs) the things that I would really like to work on 
Um, but then in the world of myeloma, the bites and the CAR Ts are really exciting because it just gives patients that whole different world of possibility of where we can go with keeping their disease under control with without all the toxicities and the mm. burden of care that some of them have to go through. So very true. What's your favourite part of the role? Uh, <laughs> that's hard to say. <laughs> I don't know. Like there's so many parts of my role I love. I love some of the stories. I love mm. some of the characters that I come across. I mean, I'm, I'm human. There are patients mm. that don't probably gel with me and I don't gel with them but most mm. of the time that's to do with a system that we mm -hmm. work under but mm. I have a lot of fun with my patients not all of them some of them <laughs> um, I hear stories you know it, it's just people it's the yeah. people that's part of it and I, I have great colleagues I work with fabulous doctors who have you know mentored me and taken me places as a nurse I'd never ever really expected to go and then my colleagues, the, my, the nurses I work with, they make life fun and so does the hospital sometimes. It, it's a hard thing to say. It can be fun amongst all of that chaos and, and despair, but hopefully we try and make it a little bit more inviting to come along and go through what you do because we, I don't know, I can't express that one. That's I love hard. how you, you brought that up, that bit. No, no, because I love how you brought that up because I think that's vital. I think human interaction and the way we communicate with each other is a part of how we spend time. And if you have someone who wants to bring either a banter or a bit of joy to a process situation, well, you shift a mindset. You know, you, you provide that, that avenue for people to have a bit of a yap or um, go down memory lane or share whatever it is that's, you know, around that's important, that's humorous, that's, you know, engaging. I think that's, I think that's actually a very positive contribution to our health and well-being. And I've been a long-standing believer in, you know, how we, how we spend time and what travels through our ears and our thoughts and everything does impact on outcomes. Yeah. It's not research, but, you know, that's what I believe. You might delete that bit. <laughs> a, a lot of things that don't need to be researched. We just know. <laughs> we just know. We just know. So what have you learnt from your patients? Patients. Mm. <laughs> patients. <Yes. laughs> not with a T, with a C. <laughs> yes. Because their capacity to put up with process and... Mm -hmm. um, change and you know never really being quite sure what's going to happen next so mm -hmm. that requires a lot of patience from my patients uh their resilience probably yes but also graciousness there is a graciousness of my patients that even in the face of despair they are gracious we have very few problems with you know their their emotions being expressed towards the staff. They mm. they just can seem to make us feel okay about what they're going through. So I think learning from how people deal with diversity or complexity of what's going on is 
what I've learned. Just that you take it one day at a time mm. and you don't give up, just deal with what's in front of you and move forward. That's Absolutely. And they're valuable life lessons for all of us. Mm. Valuable life lessons. And I guess listening to just what you've shared this afternoon, both your professional and personal experience with cancer, you come with those values as well. Patience, resilience and inner strength. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. Well, we're human. That's the other word you used. And, you know, <laughs> I think as a human you're always the roller coaster ride. Where do you see yourself in five years? At work. <laughs> Still there. <laughs> <laughs> How lucky are they? How lucky are they, Carmel? Still there, but possibly living on a farm with some animals and having to, you know, work that out. How I can do that and still work is it's something between my husband and I that's a constant struggle. <laughs> no, no, I'm not retiring. I've got too many good things to do here. How so. wonderful. Well, your patients are very lucky to have you. Uh, your colleagues are very lucky to have you. And the Foundation thanks you very much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you having me and that brings us to the end of today's episode we hope that you found it helpful in some way if you would like more information on today's show or our services please feel free to contact 1-800-620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator also, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe, share, or even give us a rating on your podcast app. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Kate Arkadiff, and you've been listening to the Leukemia Foundation's podcast, Talking Blood Cancer. <laughs>